Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back. Lots to get to here. Uh, I want to start with this. This was tossed to me by a family member. Writing on the wall here, ladies and gentlemen, this is absolutely incredible. You've heard me say this on this show a gazillion times, and uh, it's coming It's coming true. Jefferson City, Missouri. I'm just going to play the audio from their local news affiliate. Give this a listen. So school is out for the summer. Missouri's education department is working to address the severe teacher shortage. Our Missouri Chief Capitol Bureau reporter Emily Manley explains how the state's top educators are expanding testing scores for educators to get more certified. Yeah, that's right, Shirley. The Department of Elementary and Secondary Education says that last fall, there were 3,000 positions in Missouri classrooms that were either vacant or filled by people who weren't qualified for the position. Now, by tweaking these qualifying scores, they're expecting that there could be more than 500 educators added to the workforce. We would not make this recommendation if it would decrease the overall quality of teachers in Missouri's classrooms. A new plan to certify teachers in a state that is suffering a crisis, causing some schools to pivot to four-day weeks. The number of students enrolled in Missouri teacher preparation programs has dropped nearly 30% in the last decade. Tuesday, the State Board of Education approved to expand the test scores on certification exams. We're not lowering the standards. We're just expanding um, the options given the standard deviation. According to Desi, roughly 550 teachers missed the qualifying score on the exam by just a few questions. Qualifying score is not moving. We're just broadening the band around it. Back in April, members expanded the test score for elementary certification. After a new assessment was implemented in the fall and enough educators weren't scoring, high enough. And yes, we'll be studying it to make sure if it's an assessment issue, then we want to get that that framework fixed. We don't want to eliminate potentially good teachers while we figure that out. This change is expected to impact 56,000 students who would gain access to an appropriately certified teacher. I never lost a teacher because of their knowledge in their content area. I lost them for a bunch of other reasons. Another recruitment tool that's waiting for the governor's signature, a raise for minimum teacher pay from $25,000 to $38,000. Now, during this past school year, there were 115 school districts that implemented a four-day work week because they didn't have enough teachers. While some districts still haven't submitted their calendar to DESE yet for this upcoming school year, the department is expecting that number to grow to 140. Reporting live tonight from Missouri State Capitol Bureau in Jefferson City, I'm Emily Manley, Fox 2 News. I could spend the entire episode on that audio clip alone. There is so there's so much there. There's so much there. It's incredible. It's absolutely remarkable. I have to tell you uh these people have no problem lying right to people's faces. I mean almost every voice that you heard in that audio clip was some state-level education, whatever, member. President of the Missouri Education Association was the one guy when he said, uh, you know, we, we don't lose teachers because of a lack of knowledge. We lose them because of a boatload of other reasons. Well, no kidding, sweetheart. There's a ton of reasons why teachers are leaving and what you've done to the entire profession over the last, well, forever, but certainly the last two years is usually the main reason. You've abused countless people over the last two years, and you're expecting what exactly? Now, another thing. Again, there's so much there. Um, this could just be me, and I would really like someone to help me with this. I'm serious. I'm asking for serious help here. How does a four-day work week have anything to do with a teacher shortage? We don't have enough teachers. So we have to move to a four-day work week. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, what, what's going on the first four days? Everybody's fine the first four days, and then all of a sudden, does everybody just fall asleep on day five? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't understand that. I like four-day work weeks as school teachers. I think that should, that should be a thing. That should be something that exists everywhere. 
without a doubt. You don't need five days a week. You don't need seven hours a day, at least in some cases. I mean, it's completely unnecessary. But as we know, it's government daycare. It's not really, it's not really education. Um, here's another thing. And again, maybe someone can help me with this also. Me personally, I have not read up recently. Certainly, well, I certainly haven't done it recently. I, I did it a number of years ago, but um, not recently, not in recent days. The kinds of questions that they ask uh, for the certification exams, these days anyway, I can only imagine what they might actually entail. They, they have to be, I mean, if what's going on in the environment is any reflection on the tests themselves. Those questions have got to be now some of the most bizarre questions that exist. It, it could very well be, and I don't know this, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking a shot in the dark here, but it's possible that the people who are filling out the praxis exams, which I'm, I'm sure is what most states use, uh, they might have different names, but you know, there's an area exam, and then there's the teaching and learning portion of of the uh, certification exam. But if they're not using words like diversity and inclusion, and you know, all of those ridiculous buzzwords, um, it would be interesting to see whether or not that leads to a failing grade. What I can tell you is that those certification exams are remarkably subjective. I mean, they are not run through some kind of a Scantron thing where a machine reads your answers and then, you know, gives you a number score. Human beings read them. At least one human being reads them. And then they make their determination. Like I said, though, it's so subjective, it's not even fair. They're completely ridiculous. Not to mention, it's a massive money scheme, those certification exams. If you don't pass, you have to pay to take it again. And they're not cheap. Uh, I remember I failed my first one. Again, had the bachelor's degree, knew my subject matter. In fact, on the subject area exam for, I believe it was health education, was my, my certification. Yeah, that was it. They, uh, I, I got every question correct. Uh, but when it came to the teaching and learning portion, there were... Lots of questions, and you have to handwrite all of your all of your answers out, sort of in essay format. And I didn't have a problem with it, and I answered them honestly. But again, it boils down to who is reading the questions, who is it that's actually doing the grading. If that person doesn't like your tone, or that person doesn't like the words that you're using, or the certainty with which you're saying things, then uh, then you're not gonna you know you're not gonna pass. And ironically enough, the first time I took it, I didn't pass by a single point. The next time I took it, I passed by a point. One point. So, I mean, my history with tests like that is absolutely hilarious because I had a very similar experience in graduate school for my doctorate. It was, a, it was basically the same kind of thing. Right at the beginning of, of the uh, coursework, you had to take after you enrolled and this was through Walden University, you had to take uh, a, uh, oh, what was it? It was like a writing assessment. There was a writing prompt, and then you had to use no more than six references in it and then answer the question. And I forget what the question was, and I forget what my response was, but it was well-written. And again, it was a money-grabbing scheme. It was all designed to enroll students who didn't pass this writing prompt and then they would have to take this three-month-long or six-month-long writing course along with taking their other normal coursework. But I didn't pass that one by a point, a single point. Uh, I basically just kind of went after them on it. And I said, look, I passed this. I, I don't know who's reading this. Read it again. It's well-written. It's well-referenced. I answered the question. It's not difficult, and it's evident to me, I said this in my email response to them, I said, it's evident to me that you're doing this simply to siphon money out of graduate students to force them into this course that they really don't need. I said, graduate school by itself is designed to teach people how to write and research and reference things accurately and look things up and investigate. I mean, that's the point. 
um, I said this, I'm not against a course like this, but it's redundant because that's what graduate school is for. I said, read it again, because I, I didn't, according to whatever rubric you're using, which again is remarkably subjective, I said, you've decided to fail me by one point just so that you can probably get more money from me so that I have to take this writing course. And turns out they decided to read my writing response again, and they ended up passing me this time. Go figure. So yeah, I didn't have to do it again. I didn't have to take the writing course, and, and there you have it. My point is, is that again, these if they think that looking people in the face as the state of Missouri and saying that changing the certification rubric for grading, that they're not that they're just changing it, but they're not dumbing anything down and they're not making it easier for people to get certified. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> it's exactly what they're doing. In fact, in the audio clip, it, it was a video, clearly, but the woman who's saying that, who says, you know, we're not dumbing it down and uh, not making it easier and, you know, we're just changing the parameter and whatever else. I mean, she's having a hard time keeping the smile off her face because she knows that's exactly what this is. This is just one domino in the complete and utter chain of collapse here when it comes to American education. Th this is it. it. It's the easiest way to put a Band-Aid on a gushing artery, but it's not going to solve the problem. It will not solve this problem. The lack of enrollment, the turnover rate, and again, you've heard me say it, burning the candle at both ends from a teacher education standpoint, they aren't getting teacher education students because people don't want to be school teachers in these kinds of environments. In fact, I've also said this too, and you know this, but uh, the kinds of people that want to be school teachers today, I mean, you're talking about polar opposites on the moral spectrum. You know, if an individual is morally sound and they want to be a school teacher, they're going into the environment full bore, 100%. I'm going to fix this mess. Stay away from me, transsexuals. Take your rain rainbow flags and, you know, flush them down the toilet, whatever else. You've got those people, which is great. On the other end, you've got the, the dyed hair, you know, let's sit around and talk about our feelings all day long crowd. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's racist and let's think about our whiteness. You've got that on the other end of the spectrum. There quite literally is no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Those are, those are the only kinds of people now that, that are attempting to become school teachers. I, I fully understand that, um, you know, there are a lot of paraprofessionals, for example, who are receiving sort of the backdoor certification options that exist because they want more money. They like the vacation time. They're already in the school. They already have influence with students. Um, they pick a subject that they like, and they say, well, this is the one that I'll get certified in, and maybe I'll just become a teacher and make some more money in XYZ. And again, that's fine. I'm not knocking those people for doing that. If they want to do that, that's great. But it's just it's it's just more proof. What's going on in Missouri is is happening everywhere. It's happening in every state. And changing the again, changing the test scores and the and the rubric is just one small step. Um, if they think that that's going to solve the problem again, it won't. It just won't. the The next move, which you've heard me say on this show, is that the the very next thing that they're going to do is they're going to change the not just certification scores, but certification parameters, period. They're going to rewrite them. See, it's, it's easier for them right now to just expand it and say, well, well, we'll allow for more options, which means what's really happening is the individuals that are grading the tests have all received an email, and they've all gotten this email, and the email will say something like, you need to start passing more students. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. They'll just say, okay, you know, subject line of the of the email is uh you know, praxis exam, certification exam rubric. And then somewhere in the email it'll just say, look, we need to just start passing more people and uh we need to get more people in the classrooms faster and 
you know, we need to do that as quickly as humanly possible because we're bleeding, we're bleeding enrollment here and uh, we're bleeding hirings and all kinds of things. So, you know, help us out a little bit. Again, that's the, that's the short-term solution. But the longer-term solution, again, is one that's going to take more time and more effort, and it's going to require them to completely redo their entire certification program at every state level, which means, again, every university that has a teacher education program is going to end up changing also. So yes, it is a dumbing down because that's the point. That's, that's the plan. It's always been the plan. So for them to say we're not dumbing things down, well, sure you are. Now, me personally, again, and this is sort of the flip side to the coin, and you've heard me say this, I never thought that the certification exams needed to exist in the first place. I mean, a bachelor's degree should be enough. Even a master's degree, that should be enough, along with successful student teaching and whatever else. But again, at this point, none of this matters. I mean, none of it really matters because the ship is sinking. They can run up and down the hallways shouting all they want, you know, in in the bottom of the ship that there's a leak. And they can do whatever they feel like they have to do to fill those holes, but it it they just won't be able to. They will not be able to. Um, yeah. I mean, we already have teacher education programs everywhere that are closing down because they aren't getting enough students. And then, of course, as you've heard me say, they immediately end up firing adjunct professors. Uh, they end up firing assistant professors. They stop hiring them because they can't. And then before you know it, the teacher education department folds at the university level, which means who's going to fill the schools in that local area? What, what, what kind of person are they going to be hiring? So to answer that question, because I have the answer to that question, and it was actually tossed to me by a listener of the show, and thank you for sending it to me, they essentially said in their email, and I, I believe I put it out on Gab word for word, but it said that at Cal State University, the students there don't want to take the COVID tests. Even if they're jabbed, I believe, they have to take weekly COVID tests and they don't want to. So the students themselves are leaving, not just a teacher education department, but the whole university. And then what they're doing is, is they're bringing in illegals. They're enrolling illegals. Illegal aliens are enrolling, apparently, at Cal State University because, again, they're bleeding enrollment. This is, you know, this is a problem that is not going to get fixed. And we're going to talk about some jab stuff later on in the episode, but it's jab-related too. So uh, it, it just, all of this ties in. All of it, it, all of it is perfectly tied together in a very horrific, horrific way. But changing, changing the certification scores isn't, isn't going to solve anything. It won't. They're going to have to address the bigger problem eventually. And then, of course, even those decision makers, quote unquote, are going to lose their jobs too because they're the ones doing this. And again, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Here comes a thousand and one. They don't know that they're destroying their own employment. They don't know that their own decision making is now responsible for their future job loss. They have no clue what they're actually doing. So there you go. It's, uh, it's not just Missouri, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's happening everywhere. I guarantee it. Okay, next thing. This was tossed to me, uh, these next two major posts here that I want to read. This was tossed to me by Sicily uh, in New Mexico. And again, just to refresh people's memories, she was the former elementary school teacher. And she was still employed during the mask and jab time where everybody was going crazy with that. And she refused to wear the mask, isn't jabbed. And uh, yeah, she just got kicked out, basically. Uh, they, they completely cut her loose. And they said, well, you're not going to comply, so we're going to cut you loose. And that was the end of it. And then, of course, afterwards, they came crawling back to her and said, oh, can we please hire you back? And she told them to pound sand, which is awesome. 
but she's sent me some updates here, which are interesting to say the least. And I want to read this email that she sent me regarding her local school board meeting, which she said lasted approximately four hours. Uh, and then the second post that I want to read is an Instagram post that she made. And then the responses that she got back from people, because again, she's not the only one leaving for moral reasons. And she's not the only one leaving to homeschool her young children. There are lots of people doing this. And again, they're reworking their financial situations with their own families, within their own families. And they're saying, hey, look, uh, maybe we can be a one-income family and make this work and, and spend more time with our kids. And she's doing that and having one heck of a time doing it and absolutely loves it. So I want to get into this uh, email she sent me here. And this these are her notes and summary of, again, this four-hour-long school board meeting, apparently, where she lives in New Mexico. So here's, uh, here's what she wrote. She's got bullet points one through nine. So here's what she wrote. Number one, I didn't realize when the agenda said, quote, safety presentation, that it would take almost two hours out of the meeting. And it was a PPT literally explaining every single safety protocol, quote-unquote, the district does. Honestly, it was so boring, I took a shower in the middle of it. It included everything from fire drills to the active shooter drill. Uh, there were a few concerned parents wanting to know what happens in case of an active shooter. My God, these people. I told you, didn't I? I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but these, you know, th these school districts and these parents buy these, these school shootings. They believe them. This is the brainwashing. It, uh, it's, it's incredible. The TV is quite literally doing the thinking for people on every issue, and it's really, really disturbing. Um, it continues. It says, this one mom had a third grader, and she cried when she mentioned her son had asked, what do we do, quote unquote, in case there was a shooter, implicating the schools don't have a plan or practice. The SRO said these drills are done every quarter. Once it was finally finished, the new, uh, the new superintendent just kept saying legislation won't work. Love will work. Love these kids. I understand that. And most of them do need love. But I wanted to say there's a bigger picture, and it involves Big Pharma, Broken Homes, and MK Ultra. But you already know that. Yeah. She's 100% right. Again, the... Even if, even if, ladies and gentlemen, someone at the top within a K-12 school district knew that the Uvalde thing was fake, they couldn't say it. If they had courage and they just said that, well, you don't even need courage to tell the truth, you just tell the truth. But if they knew it was fake, they should say something. But this should tell you right now again that the number of people who work in this line of work and believe it is overwhelming. Like I said, it's upwards of 99% of the people who work in, in the field of education actually believe that this happened. Now, see, what I would love to do, and I'm still waiting, I I'm, I'm, promise I'm going to keep reading this, but a little sidebar here. I'm still waiting to hear from the Miami University professor regarding my comments at that board meeting last August regarding the jabs and killing people and all of that. Uh, I'm still waiting for my invitation. He hasn't answered my emails. I've told him I'm free anytime, anytime he would like to uh, have me show up. The next thing I'd love to do is talk with college students in the teacher in the teacher education department about Uvalde. I would love to drop on them that it didn't happen. I would love to show them that Uvalde documentary, those videos, and and try to snap them out of the matrix. I mean, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is real teacher education. But that's not the kind of stuff that's going on. We know that it isn't. But again, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Some, somebody out there might be doing that. And I applaud that person, but I don't know. It, uh, it would be so few and far between, I think. Okay, her, her second bullet point says this. Apparently, the SROs have received national recognition just like the nurses, I'm sure. 
Uh, it says, I'm not even sure what that means, and the district debated even having them armed. Well, the SROs are supposed to be armed. At least I thought they were. Um, maybe she means the teachers. Well, there you go. See, that? <laughs> again, arming teachers. Arming teachers, lowering certification requirements. Uh, you know, what an environment. What a nightmare. Number three, starting next year, every single faculty member will have an app that you can use, and it will automatically notify emergency responders. It can be anything from a seizure to suspicious activity. 30-second response time. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, who's going to answer that? 30-second 30 res uh, response time from, from whom? Who's going to show up? Are the SROs gonna 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 show up? Is an administrator gonna drop what they're doing? No chance. These are like those bully boxes you heard me discuss in previous episodes. You know where uh, a kid's being bullied and they need to write it on a piece of paper and then stick it in a box and somebody will get to it sometime. There's there's no way. School safety apps for the love of God. The word nightmare just keeps coming to mind, does it not? Nightmare. Number four, this is great. She says, you mentioned last week about these mental health facilities. They are using the old administration building and hired a former principal, probably at least two times jabbed and overweight to run the place. Here's what I got a kick out of. They're going to be on a contract with this counseling center out of West Texas and no employee of our Artesia's district, sorry if I'm getting that wrong, uh, will be doing the counseling. Why would you need to hire someone else? My husband joked and said they're probably FBI. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, that is odd. Outsourcing counselors now from a different state? That's weird. I haven't heard of that one. Some counseling organization, maybe? I don't know. That's odd. Uh, number five, they contacted all students who disenrolled the last two years. Forty of them are not returning, with 33 of those continuing homeschooling. Seven will continue with the private schools. By the way, there are now two private schools up and running. If you do decide to go back, I would look into them. I think enrollment will continue to increase. There are tons of online options for me to do. Yeah, there, there certainly are. One of the things, however, and I, I don't think I've spent any time on this one. Um, I may have, but I don't recall. There's a lot of these schools that exist where you are, they look to hire either current or former K-12 school teachers to teach English to Chinese students here in America. Um, I don't recommend that. No offense to the Chinese, but it seems like teaching English to the Chinese is sort of like prepping the enemy to take you over. That's, that's my take. It seems odd. Um, I, I, I want to say, uh, darn it, darn it. What was the name of the school? It's, I don't think it's ICANN, but it was something else. Um, but that was their that was their entire mission. That was their entire purpose. Their their whole school was solely designed to teach English to Chinese students, K K through twelve. Um, yeah, they pay you by the hour part time, and I thought, no, no, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, so be, be be careful with those kinds of online schools. Make sure that you you know if if a person is getting involved in any kind of an online school, that you really do your homework. Um, that's my two cents on that. Uh, number six, using COVID cash, all new hires. New in the district will receive a $5,000 sign-on bonus, which will be forfeited should they leave. Wow. Wow. Step on the property, we'll give you five grand, and if you leave, we're going to take it back. That sounds ethical, doesn't it? Number seven. A requirement to receive the CARES Act money is every six months to evaluate a plan should something happen, i.e. shutdowns. The superintendent's own exact words were, should there be staff shortages, quote-unquote. 
governor just signed a law that rehires can return after 90 days instead of a year. He joked about coming back, quote, I am seeking employment, unquote. Yikes. Number eight. I had intentions of asking the board about the threat of withholding funds for school lunches if schools don't comply with the Title IX changes Biden wants to make. That was the entire reason I stayed on for four hours. The guy taking JR's place on July 1st said students will have to apply for lunches like in the past. I guess I forgot that because of COVID, all meals were free to all students. No kidding. And in fact, that's not just a New Mexico thing. That's almost an everywhere thing. Within the last two years, schools have shown themselves again to be soup kitchens. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. The the number of families that just, I mean, I, I understand, you know, it's tough times for a lot of people financially, but my God, schools are not a restaurant. They're not supposed to be a restaurant uh, with government food, no less. Uh, it says, of course, he hasn't uh, heard about the Title IX changes. And I asked if they were preparing a policy, should that come down the line? I ended by reading from Matthew 18.6, trying to get them a little, give them a little something to chew on. That's the answer I got. However, one of the new members chimed in and said she will do everything in her power to fight for her kids, for our kids, and she said, I believe her. All right. Well, time will tell. Number nine, the final bullet point here. It says uh, they spent a good half hour plus talking about the Black Education Act, quote unquote, as it is called with the impl- uh, that it will be implemented, I think, in 2023. I thought it would be this year. Still not sure. The education world is calling it the new social studies standards. Parents aren't stupid. Gaslighting. Explaining how the teachers teach what they think is important. Uh, The other new member asked if the parents chose the novels they read, and she said there's a list of books and the teachers chose them. Those are the major things I noticed. I'll keep going and keep providing you updates. Okay. Well, there you have it. That's from Sicily in New Mexico. And then here is her Instagram post where she's talking again about how grateful she is to, uh, to be a, a homeschooling mother and, and a stay-at-home mom now and having left the business. She said the following, quote, Eight and a half years and it came down to four boxes. Tears streamed as I finished up packing. Uh, For those who still don't know, my last day of teaching was December 17th, 2021. I knew before signing my contract and coming back in August that this would be my last year. 2020 woke me up. A lot of things came to head about the public school system that it is shameful and though that it is shameful and those in charge at every level should be embarrassed. If you ask any teacher now, teaching is not the same as it was even 10 years ago. There's a lot of reasons teachers are quitting in droves, and the corruption within the system is the reason I did, to say the least. It was revealed to me how they really feel about us and your children. I know rumors spread, and that's fine. I wish for people to know my story. I'm sure people think I'm crazy for walking away from a steady income in this economy, but it was never about the money. No good teacher is ever in it for the money. She then said, I never questioned my decision and Shane didn't either. We have decided this is the best thing for our family and he has supported me 1000% this whole time. Spending the last six months with my two boys has been the greatest time I could never get back. Wanting to be a teacher my whole life, I never thought I would be advocating for parents to pull their kids out of school. Things are going to get worse. The moral decay is thick, and it's not going anywhere. You are your child's best teacher. Protect them. Pray for them. Pray for their teachers. There are still a lot of good ones. The last picture is of something Shane had made for me before I started. To this day, I try to walk by faith. I try to walk by faith. God is in control. God is good all the time. The biggest lesson I learned from this is this. Always stand by your convictions, even if you're the only one standing. Well said. 
And then some people responded, even people who used to be uh, former school teachers. Um, here's one. It says, proud of you for standing up against the mess. Your kids will continue to enjoy you being there for them day in and day out. God bless you guys. Come see us soon. And then somebody else said, I retired from teaching and started a new career because I just don't agree with the path public education is going. No doubt about it. Um, let's see. Here's another one. It says, you definitely set a good example of standing up for what is right, no matter the cost, and you did it with grace and dignity. I retired from teaching and will still have to work, but like you, I just couldn't deal with all the crazy anymore. Our kids need our, daily, our prayers daily. Never doubt you have made a difference. And then a couple more people replied. Let's see. Thank you for sharing. Grateful. Somebody else said, yes, you're right. Someone said, I walked away too. It's sad to lose passion for something you used to love so much. Proud of you. I mean, there you go. This is happening all over the place. And the, ga the, the real gaslighting is occurring, again, within these very school board meetings, like the one that she just described earlier. Uh, th they're the ones saying, you know, we're in the best financial position we've ever been in. The exact opposite is true. When they're saying, well, you know, we're, we're happy that uh, we've got some new teachers and, you know, some fresh teachers is a great thing and whatever else. But they're never addressing why people are leaving. They're never addressing that. They, they always chalk it up to a thousand different things. They'll say, well, people just move. That's just what happens. People just leave the profession. That's just what happens. No, no. People don't just leave just because. There's always a reason. And there are multiple reasons. And again, those reasons are the people that are working and running those environments. They're the reason. They're always the reason. They're always the problem. You see, you've heard me say this too. I don't think administrators should exist. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a useful position. Again, no offense to the ones that I've had on the show and talked with. You know, I love them to death. They're very bright, very smart people. I just don't think that the position is necessary. I think that if you had, again, teachers in a building who knew their subject matter and that's all they did. I mean, th this is one of the things, again, that tends to occur within some private schools, and uh, in particular, some of the more religious private schools, is they show up, they teach their subject, they go home, and that's it. There's no games, there's no gimmicks, there's no Pride Month this, rainbow flag that. Uh, none of these political causes, you know, again, the, the position of a superintendent is useless. It's a useless position, and talk about a waste of money. But that's, that's all state legislation. Again, that's government. That's the way that the entire apparatus is set up. It's set up to be bureaucratic. It's set up to be wasteful. It's set up to be politically driven, which means it's set up to fail. And we're living through that failure. I have a smile across my face from ear to ear watching this whole thing collapse. I really do. I know that it's sad because a lot of good people get stomped on in the process. But yeah, this is, this is not going to get better. And that kind of leads me to this, to be honest. This, this too was an article that uh, Jesse James tossed my way from the Dangerous Info podcast from the DetroitNews.com. Um, regarding the Oxford School, again, more police state stuff, more of, of turning these schools into a prison camp, the Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has apparently offered the Oxford Community Schools the use of a dog trained to detect explosives and firearms, along with a handler at the high school next year. Wow. Big move. Big safety move. Uh, you know, I gotta tell you, it is temple rubbing madness, is it not? These people are some of the dumbest humans on the face of the planet. I, I've got to read through this article as, as ridiculous as this is going to be. Uh, here we go. It says, Nestle in her letter on Monday reminded the district the costs of the investigation would be borne solely by her office and that the investigation would be conducted in such a manner as not to interfere with the ongoing criminal proceedings being handled at the Oxford, or I'm sorry, Oakland County Prosecutor's Office. Oxford School Board President Tom Donnelly 
was not immediately available for comment. Nestle has accused Oxford school board members of being more focused on limiting liability than responding to the concerns of the community and investigating the events that led up to the shooting, uh, and has expressed concerns about what the district may withhold from the public using attorney-client privilege. She's got a she's got a lot of gall to say that. Wow, the nerve! Withholding evidence from Dana Nessel, the George Soros bought-off scumbag. Uh, it's it's just nuts. Here's what she wrote in uh, in her letter. Apparently, she said, "Quote: I had the opportunity to be introduced to this organization and to observe their work in the Avondale School District." Nessel wrote in a letter. Avondale High School relies on these dogs to sweep for potentially dangerous materials while at the same time being able to receive attention and affection from the student body in the course of performing their hard work. I have a better idea. How about you put that counselor on a leash and a collar and have him do his job? Because the reason that those four kids are dead is because of Ethan Crumbly, but before that, it's because the counselor didn't check the book bag. You don't need a dog. What you need is a counselor with a brain in his skull. Instead of these, again, these, uh, these things, these, these Marxist, weak, beta male counselors. Um, I care about you, Ethan. I'll never forget him saying that <laughs> during the preliminary hearing. I, the last thing I said to Ethan when I took him back to class was I just said, I care about you. The kid had a gun in his bag. Saying you care about him isn't going to do jack shit. What are these people thinking? They're not thinking because they don't want to do their job. They don't want to do their job. They just want to massage people and rub their shoulders and tell them everything's going to be just fine. And then the next thing you know, somebody gets their head broke. I gotta tell you, you don't need a dog. You just need competent people working in that environment. But that environment is filled with incompetence. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Why would you need a drug, uh, you know, a gun-sniffing dog now? There's already dead people. They should be ashamed of themselves, but they're not. They just aren't. They think they're being proactive, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, proactive. We in American education are proactive on everything. Oops, real kids are dead in the hallway, so uh, we're being proactive now, and we're going to paint the walls over top of their blood, and we're going to bring in a dog after the fact that could have done a better job than the counselor who didn't do his job. But believe me, we're proactive. Okay. Gaslighting. It's constant gaslighting. I, I you know, I, I wish, I, I really, I really do wish that more people would go off the rails in these school board meetings. I know that a year ago I was saying there's no point, you know, the ship has sailed, the, sh the shark has been jumped, um, it's going out of style, but yeah. I still do think, and you've heard me say this, I still do think the, the shoe that has left to drop, so to speak, in these board meetings is when the jab injured start showing up to school board meetings or the jab dead, and they start yelling at school board members for encouraging everybody get the jabs. That's going to be next. That's going to be a huge wave. And when that happens, buckle up, because that's, that's going to be big. Okay, speaking of jab stuff, the FDA wants to jab five and younger, five years old and younger, all the way to six months old, I believe, is, is what they're looking to do. And they've decided that this is the best thing to do. They've made up their minds. Now, you've heard me play this audio in the past before, and now there's new audio. As of their most recent June Zoom meeting with the FDA and going over the paperwork and whatever else, there's always the public comment section where some people get to chime in with their two cents. I've got a couple of audio clips that I want to play, and these people just let them have it. This right here, though, ladies and gentlemen, is also a perfect example of why the people that work 
within the FDA and the CDC and Pfizer, Moderna, and all these other organizations, why they are complete and utter psychopaths. And I mean that in the most literal definition. They are psychopaths. They are completely detached from reality and, and listening to the truth and then still making the decision to murder someone. Um, again, the audio clips are astounding. They openly say, the, the people that are running this, these Zoom meetings, they openly say that they are looking forward to jabbing children. And the more we get them jabbed, of course, they don't say jab, they say vaccinated, not a vaccine. Uh, the more that they do that, that the more they'll find out and the more they'll learn. The learning is over here. The learning is over. I, I, I don't think that there's anything else that we can possibly learn about what these shots are doing to people. They are killing them a variety of ways. And people are ticking time bombs. Again, people are dropping dead a year later after their second shot. They've had two shots. They had it, you know, whatever, last summer, and then they're dying this month of this year. Same, uh, you know, again, the people that are, <laughs> the people that end up with, with, with blood clots and they survive, those people are now going to have to take blood thinners the rest of their lives. That's not going to stop them from clotting either. Not to mention, once blood clots are detected, they're immediately at risk for strokes now, upwards of like 50%. It's going to be a coin toss now whether or not that individual is going to have a stroke. And for those that have had strokes or for those that know people who have had strokes, you typically don't just have one. Normally you have one and then there's another and then one or the other ends up handicapping a person. And then, of course, that leads to heart attacks and so on and so forth. So six months old, ladies and gentlemen, they're psychopaths. Give this uh, first audio a listen. This guy carves them up, and everything he says is on point. In three, two, one. The next speaker is uh, Mr. Sam Dodson. You have three minutes, please. Hello, my name is Sam Dodson. I run a podcast called To the Lifeboats, and I have no relationship with the pharmaceutical cartels. I schooled in electrical engineering, and two years ago, I'd never heard of mRNA, but let me tell you what I've learned since. It starts with the shot you told us stays at the injection site. We know it doesn't. You knew it didn't. Biodistribution studies show that it goes to every major organ, primarily the heart, liver, and spleen, where thanks to the highly inflammatory lipid nanocomplex, it transfects the cells. That complex contains a pegylated lipid being mass-injected into humans for the first time ever, while the animal studies showed heart attacks in pigs after the second injection. You knew the lipid nanocomplexes collect in the ovaries where they have the potential to cause devastating effects on reproductive health, yet you did nothing. When women started complaining of menstrual problems, you did nothing. Transfected cells in every organ pump out the spike protein that ends up in the nucleus where it interrupts P53, line 1, and BRCA. You didn't know this because you didn't care to ask the question. And when shown to you in a study, you did nothing. Every transfected cell expressing spike protein risks autoimmune disease the most acute of which is myocarditis. When people started dying of myocarditis, you did nothing. The spike protein floats freely in the vasculature, finding its way into the brain, breast milk, and the environment as the body sheds this protein in exosomes, making those around the vaccinated sick. The spike protein directly affects toll-like receptors and CD4 T cells, which are essential to the immune defense against these very viruses. When the vaccinator repeatedly caught COVID and suffered reactivation of herpes, shingles, papillomavirus in unprecedented numbers, you knew this was a massive problem, yet you did nothing. You knew that the mRNA stays around for months in lymph node germinal centers causing T-cell exhaustion because the Stanford group performed the study that you couldn't be bothered to do. And then you ignored that massive safety signal. You were warned about oncomers and the effect on P53, yet you did nothing. When you were warned about prion disease and amyloid as a result of the huge amounts of spike protein produced by these therapies, you did worse than nothing. You silenced those people who raised the alarms. You were informed of fraud in the vaccine studies, yet instead of investigating, 
you colluded with the manufacturers to suppress trial data for 75 years. Knowing all of these concerns, you now want to inject a very young who have zero clinical risk from COVID and for which not one single study has shown any clinical benefit. You have abjectly failed in your sole duty to ensure the safety of any drug given to Americans. The late Francis Oldham Keasley would have been ashamed at how you turned a once respected agency into a corrupt, corrupted vessel for the very corporations you swore to protect the American public from. If you have one shred of humanity left, you will recommend an immediate halt to all the shots and pray that God has mercy on your souls. Might also want to figure out how we're going to diagnose myocarditis in very young babies who are unable to speak. Thank you. Psychopaths. They're psychopaths. Again, who listens to that and says, well, time for approval. Let's stamp these papers. Only a psychopath would do that. Only a psychopath. That was very well done. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Want to hear another one? I have a 13-minute clip here of at least four other people all talking uh, and all just laying it out there and just destroying the FDA and all of the people who support these jabs. One of them is a medical doctor as well. Um, Yeah, so here's what I'll do. I'm just going to play this 13-minute clip straight through. So here we go. Thank you for the opportunity. I have no conflict. I'm a 43-year-old researcher, biologist, and a mother. I'm here sharing my personal nightmare story with after my Moderna injections. I was in very good health before my Moderna injection. I did suffer from seasonal allergies. I lived a normal, active life and happy life. I worked full-time, took care of my family, my farm, rescue dogs, and enjoy multiple physical activities. I took my first Moderna injection early in March 2021. I took the injection because I believe it was needed to protect myself, my family, and others in my community. I believed it was safe, effective, and the right thing to do. After my first injection, I had an anaphylactic reaction, rash, tachycardia, dizziness, shortness of breath, intense gastro pains that lasted months. My doctors ignored my reactions from the first injection and unbelievably recommended a second shot. They said it was needed to be safe. I took the second Moderna injection in June of 2021. I got dizzy right away. Two days after the injection, I could not get out of bed for a couple of days. My right leg and my arms were weak. I developed facial paralysis and migraines. My eyesight became fuzzy. I was dizzy and confused. I had no choice but to stay down. It has been about 12 and 15 months post-reaction to the injections. I still deal with daily fatigue, dizziness, memory problems, nerve and joint pains, burning of the skin, numbness, ringing of the ears, headaches, tingling sensations of my body, my facey droops, and my right hand tremors. These injections have badly harmed my life, my family, my work, and my health. They have taken me away from everything that made my life happy and fulfilling. So far, there is no effective treatments that are uh, can help me. I have seen numerous specialists try special diets, supplements, I have found no answers or guidance. There is no pathway of improvement. No one knows if I will ever get better. This makes me feel really helpless and hopeless sometimes. Since the injections, I have been diagnosed with dysautonomia, small fiber neuropathy, mast cell activations. I'm unable to do most basic tasks, including driving. The effects of these shots are so extreme and never-ending. As soon as I mention that the symptoms are vaccine-related, I feel completely ignored. Most doctors do not want to talk about the possibility of vaccine injury. How is that going to affect the little kids that cannot communicate or explain what's going on with their bodies? Side effects needs to be acknowledged publicly. Long-term research needs to be done before we can push this into our kids. Knowing the level of humanity before injecting this into our kids should be accounted for. Thank you. Uh, thank you. The next speaker is uh, Robin Hansman. 
Hi, everyone. I have no conflict. Um, I do not want approval of this vaccine. I'm going to tell you my own story. I got the first injection on September 15th, 2021. Sorry, it's very emotional for me. Um, I got the first dose and everything was fine until 8 o'clock on Friday morning at 8 o'clock. I, um, I woke up and my hands and my arms were completely numb and tingly. I called 911, but instead of going to the hospital, I went to my doctor's and did a urine sample and an EKG, and I was sent home. By Sunday night, I was just watching TV. I got up to go to the bathroom, and I said out loud that I was really busy. My husband said, we need to take your blood pressure, and he immediately um, he took my blood pressure, and he immediately called 911. It was 211 over 105. I took one of my husband's blood pressure pills because I was not on anything because I was a completely healthy person. Um, and I also took 325 milligrams of aspirin. The paramedics confirmed my extremely high blood pressure, but since I took the pill, I decided to stay home. At 11.30, my husband said, let's take it one more time before going to sleep. And my blood pressure was even higher. So 911 was called again. I took another aspirin and a second pill from my husband. The ambulance came, they did an EKG, and they said my heart looked good, So and COVID was rampant in the hospital, so I stayed home. The next morning I woke up, it was 198 over 98, so I went to the ER. I took a third pill of my husband's blood pressure medication. I was in and out of the emergency um, ERs and urgent cares Monday and Tuesday. By Wednesday, I went back to my doctor's and did another urine sample. He gave me a, a second blood pressure pill um, to take, so now I was on two. By Thursday, my left arm had pain and numbness and was admitted into the ER. By Friday in the hospital, I got an email from my doctor that I had protein in my urine. In five days, it went from zero to 433, and I now have permanent kidney damage. Um, I released all my medical records to Moderna. Moderna called my doctor because I had 100% proof it was vaccine-related from the urine samples. Um, they said that they're seeing many cases like mine and that um, I also had my, all my blood work taken three months earlier. My glucose was 82. I had no A1C problem. My blood pressure 10 days earlier in the doctor's office was 100 over 70. After the vaccine, my liver enzymes, glucose is now 125. I have high A1C. My Epstein-Barr virus is reactivated. My hands are still tingly and numb. And the worst part about it is I'm allergic to foods that I've never been allergic to. And I eat them, and my blood pressure goes to 200 over 100. And I would say that's crazy, except I don't know that I ate something that I was allergic to. Um, why on earth would you give this to kids and young people when the risk of dying from COVID is practically zero? How many people have to go to sleep and never wake up? It is not a coincidence. Kids are dying on the field from heart conditions like never before. Me and thousands and thousands of lives are forever changed. We have no recourse. We can't go after the vaccine injury program. Moderna has complete immunity and we're censored on our support groups. We have to talk in code. And I, I'm very concerned that, you know, this is all about money. And I really don't know how people sleep at night knowing this is injuring and killing people all over the place. And I really want answered. I'll give you my Moderna um, case numbers. It's MOD 211-45534 on 920. The second one was MOD 211-58661 on 1029. My third one is MOD-2021-369784 on 1118. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today. Um, I have no confidence of interest. My only interest <clears throat> excuse me, is in saving children's lives. I pray that these advisory committee members will open your hearts to God's truth about protecting his children which includes your children and grandchildren. I'm an MD graduate of Tufts Medical School, one of the top 10 in the country. I am trained as an orthopedic surgeon. Before I went to medical school, I was a mechanical engineer, a systems and electrical engineer for Brooklyn Polytech, and a rocket scientist. In the late 60s, I had a machine shop, and we made parts for Grumman, who had the contract for the LAMBDA lunar excursion module, 
that landed on the moon in 1969 with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. I myself machined the parts for the LEM that I held in my hand that are still sitting on the moon as we speak. So when I look up at the moon, it's a totally different experience than for most people. Um, I'm appalled at the arrogance that you, meaning the FDA, have in even thinking about vaccinating healthy children with outdated, highly toxic COVID vaccines. Children who have a 99.998% survival rate with no sequelae if they get COVID. Various statistics show that over 100,000 children ages 1 to 18 that have been vaccinated with Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna's so-called vaccines have had severe, life-threatening, adverse reactions such as myocarditis, Guillain-Barre, and many more severe adverse reactions, and even death. We know that VAERS is underreported by a factor of 100. The data cries out loudly to stop this insanity immediately before you kill or maim one more innocent child. These vaccines are not experimental. They are bioweapons designed to maim and kill. In a risk-benefit analysis, since children up to age 18 have a survival rate of 99.9% reactions and virtually no deaths, why in the world would you want to try to improve on perfection by exposing them to significant chances of being permanently severed, severely injured, or dead? The risk is infinite, and the benefits are non-existent, and the efficacy is extremely negative. Why do you want to mess with God's given perfect system? The best treatment you can do is to leave these children alone under God's care. And failing to do that, then your only purpose is to maim and kill. That clearly being the case, the FDA should change its name to the JMI, the Joseph Mengele Institute. It is not too late to repent and return to God and his Torah. If you want to experiment, do it on yourself. Don't think that for one second that God is not aware of your very nefarious and murderous plans and actions. If you haven't... If you, heaven forbid, go through with mandating vaccines for innocently healthy children, you will burn in hell for eternity. Thank you for your time and for listening with open hearts. On April 7, 2021, I was excited to get my Moderna vaccine. Like many people, I wanted to do my part to end the pandemic and keep people safe. Five weeks later, I had my second dose on May 5, 2021. I had flu-like symptoms for three days and then was fine, so I thought. On Saturday morning, June 5th, 2021, exactly one month later, I started to develop vertigo. By Monday afternoon, I had lost my vision in my one eye, developed blurred speech, lost motor skills, and developed immense brain fog. I went to the emergency room immediately. When I got there, everyone was sure I was having a stroke. But after five years of, of five hours of testing, they found out this wasn't the case. I was released and referred to a neurologist. After many weeks of tests, the neurologist believes it was from the vaccine, that it is massive neuroinflammation, but doesn't know how to treat me. The only thing she offered me was good luck. Throughout the course of the next year, I saw a PCP, an ophthalmologist, a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, and a naturopath, all hypothesizing the same thing. I've been completely on my own without any proper medical care for over a year now. No one really knows what's going on with my body and my brain. Last summer, at its height, I had experienced Alzheimer-like symptoms, losing pockets of time, forgetting who I was and where I was. I am 36 years old. Other issues that still exist today include heart palpitations, constant migraine headaches, hand, hand numbness, and extreme memory, memory loss. Just to name a few. It's been hard to do the most basic of tasks. Before the vaccine, I was completely healthy. Since my injury, I've had to quit my full-time job and instead work part-time spending all my additional time researching science articles, natural remedies, and how to heal myself so I can function every day, all while accruing five-figure medical debt. I am not the collateral damage in the war against disease. I'm a human being who deserves proper medical care, proper compensation, and empathy. In the court of public opinion, I've been called a murderer, an anti-vaxxer, and delusional. And ironically, you are the ones that lie to the American people that vaccines are completely safe for the average person. You are offensive to actual science and medicine, lacking any type of curiosity of adverse events. I've met other vaccine injured along the way that are leaving their homes, their life savings, in addition to their health. How do you sleep at night? You are a disgrace to humanity. You are narcissists cloaked in Hiller's clothing. The vaccine injured deserve proper medical care and financial compensation. That is the least of what you can do. One thing I know for sure is that there are only three things that are guaranteed to never fully stay hidden. 
the sun always rises, the moon comes out every night, and then there's the truth. And when the truth comes out, I pray God has mercy on your soul. Myself and millions of others will never stop fighting and telling the truth. Our resilience is bigger than your cowardice. Only cowards would avoid accountability as innocent people suffer. Approving this for children without fully researching the adverse effects is nothing short of criminal, extremely wicked, and shockingly evil. Thank you for your time. I giggled a little when I heard the medical doctor guy uh, slash rocket scientist say that uh, we landed on the moon. That was funny. Um, other, other than that, I mean, it's just, it's beyond heartbreaking, just beyond heartbreaking. But like I said, psychopaths, that's it. Again, all of these medical doctors who are receiving all of these patients with all of these symptoms, they know that they're, that these patients that they're seeing who are injured are injured because of the jabs, but they're not making the connections. Some of them are. It would be mathematically impossible that some of them wouldn't recognize that, but too many of them are not making the connections. Again, six-month-old, ladies and gentlemen. Six-month-old children. Not to mention, and of course to sort of tie this all in before I wrap up here, as I wrap up, uh, how can you have any profession, let alone an education profession, survive? When the vast majority of employees, we assume, within this profession have been jabbed. And now, of course, parents are doing this to their own children without thought, without any thought whatsoever. Again, you heard the one woman say that she was looking forward to getting the Moderna shot, looking forward to it. That's, that, that in itself is a level of brainwashing, but that's a person who is unfortunately waking up the hard way. I mean, most of us wake up the hard way regarding some topic or some issue, but waking up the hard way as a result of being permanently jab injured, that's, that's something else. That's a completely different form of awakening. I feel terrible for, for the jab injured. I, I certainly do, because they don't know what they're doing. But again, this is proving how many people are absolutely hooked to their televisions, the radio, and they are not using any level of discernment whatsoever. Just none. However, again, some are waking up still, which is great. I just, I think it's terrible that it's had to happen as a result of being permanently injured in this manner. But uh, there you go. Big week, lots going on, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend. I will catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.